0: Okay, so our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews 11, verses 32 to the end, um, verse 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets... Who through faith conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their, back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here. Um, good to see your faces. Um, it's been a long time since I've not just been preaching to a camera. Uh, so it's good to, uh, ah, good to see you. Uh, and for my first preach back, we get to talk about people being son in two. <laughs> Jeepers. This glory can be gory. Um. Ha. Uh, let me let me pray for us, uh, Father. We. Um, we need your help. If there's anything uh, this text will teach us, is we need your help, um, uh, Spirit. We'd ask that you would uh, speak to us this morning, speak to your flock, Jesus. Um, this difficult passage uh, that just flies in the face of a world that says your life needs to be designer, that your life is about success and comfort. Uh, Jesus, speak to us today. Uh, Spirit, we'd ask that uh, you would do what only you can do. Um, I am just a weak man, feeble words, um, but you have the power to bring people from death to life to open hearts, to clear people's eyes. Um, And we pray that you do that today, Lord. Come, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, So we're going to finish really looking at one of the most famous passages or chapters in the Bible, which is Hebrews 11. Uh, We're nearly done with Hebrews. Um, We're kind of closing to the end. So uh, in this chapter, the author is uh, really kind of giving us this example he's painting this picture of this life that he has been calling these people to live, which is this life of endurance to the end, running a race that finishes well. Uh, and today you really get the the crescendo or the conclusion of his main point here. Um, Hebrews is written to a church that is is growing tired. They're they're growing weary uh, and therefore they're not being vigilant or careful. Or watchful, you see, in chapter in chapter twelve, the author says their hands are growing feeble, their knees are weak, Um, and and really they we see they are in danger of of drifting away. They are uh, in danger. I guess another word we could use is meander. This just kind of drifting, following a winding course. Um, they 're beginning to, to kind of carelessly make their way through their their lives, and so we 've seen all through the letter that the author has been urging these Christians to waken up um, in chapter two, verse one. He said, "We must pay much closer attention to what we 've heard lest we drift away. He says in verse three, "How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation?" So he has this urgency in his, in his message in his, in his sermon, really, they are in danger of drifting of neglecting, of just meandering their way through the Christian life. Um, In chapter 3, verse 12, he says, take care, brothers and sisters, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to, to fall away from the living God. He says, exhort one another daily. As long as it's called today, encourage one another, exhort one another, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying, take care, brothers and sisters exhort one another daily. In chapter five, he says, for though by this time you, should be a, a te- you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. He's kind of given them this, uh, this uh, spanking essentially here. He's saying, you've, you've been at this long enough that you should be passing on what you've learned to someone else. You should, be, you should be feeding and, and discipling others instead of always needing to be fed yourself like a newborn. And the reason that that is the case for them is because they're drifting. It's because they, they have become dull in their hearing. They're, they're just meandering. They're just coasting. They're, they're, they're treating this life as if you can just kind of get up and stroll to the finish line instead of running to the end. And all through the sermon, the, the preacher is is calling them and us to, to vigilance, to, to carefulness, to attention. And, and, and the reason why is because they're tempted to give up. And they're, they're growing weary. They're tempted to just go back to their old ways. And, and in chapter 10, really the, the climax of his whole argument, uh, he, he says there's two paths that, that you and I can follow. And there's the, the path backwards or there's the path forwards, that's the, the, the two paths that you can choose. The path backwards, he says, leads to destruction. The path forwards, the path of pressing on in faith, leads to a great reward. So go back to the end of chapter 10 and look at verse 32. Um, you might be, we're going to finish chapter 11, but chapter 11 is all about chapter 10. He's, at chapter 11, he's unpacking what he says in chapter 10. So if you don't understand what he says in chapter 10, then verse, then chapter 11 is going to just not really mean that much. So at the end of chapter 10 in verse 32, he ends that chapter by, by asking them to recall the former days, to, to look back, remember back when after you enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly reproached, uh, uh, exposed to reproach and affliction. Uh, sometimes you're, you're thrown in prison. He says, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Why were they able to endure that past suffering? Well, the author says that it was because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one. He says, you were willing to go through those, those difficulties in the past because you knew that what lay ahead is better. That there's, there's, there's this better possession that is waiting for you in heaven. So he says in verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. D- don't just meander your way through life. He says, um, you, have in need, you, you are in need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And, and that right there is why he is writing to them. is because they are in need of endurance. This patient perseverance. They need to endure to, to finish the race well so that they will receive the great reward that is that is promised. He's saying that future glory is yours if only you press on. So he says, Yet a little while, the coming one will come again. Jesus is going to come again. And he says in verse 38, My righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul takes no pleasure in him. So there's those two paths again, the two options. There's the the path forward or the path backwards. You can press on with endurance, press on with faith, or you can shrink back. He says, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who who have faith, who who press on to the end and preserve their souls. So if you hear anything, chapter 3 tells us three things. The three things that chapter, chapter 10 teaches is, in the Christian life, finishing is everything. In the Christian life, finishing is everything. It, it's not enough to just start well and then fizzle out. That's the, the wilderness wanderers that we saw in chapter 3. They finished, they, they started great, great story, but just as they were about to enter the promised land, they gave up and they decided to go back and then they died in the wilderness. <laughs> it's, it's the end that matters most. It's finishing That is everything. It's like if you run a marathon, what I'm going to ask you is, did you finish it? Did you run the whole thing? Or if you climb Everest, the question is, did you make it to the top? And it's the exact same with the Christian life. Finishing is everything. Crossing the finish line is everything. The second thing that chapter 10 teaches us is that not finishing is great risk. The path backwards leads to destruction. To to reject Jesus is the way to salvation has unspeakable consequences. And Jesus warns us about, warns us about this, doesn't he? He, he, he? he tells us there's a cost to following me and you should, you should count that cost. You should, you should consider that cost. He says that there's suffering on this path for you. Why? Because there's suffering for me. There's gonna be shame on this path for you because there is shame for me. You will be considered outsiders in this world. So he says, be ready for that. Consider that. So each of us will will come up against these things and and at some point we'll be tempted to say, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. It's too much. And if you're like me, your heart's probably breaking a little bit because you're thinking of those we know that have done this, that have said, I'm done. There's a real risk, brothers and sisters, to not finishing The third thing that chapter 10 teaches us, and this is what chapter 11 is all about. So hear this one. If persevering is everything, if finishing the race is everything, how do you do it? What is the key to finishing? And he tells us it's faith. Faith is the key to finishing. He says you are in need of endurance. The key to that is faith. Circle that word faith in verses 38 and 39 of chapter 10. That's what we all need. We need faith. We need to live by faith. Do you see how he's masterfully setting up chapter 11? He says, you need faith. You need to persevere to the end with this life of faith. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. It's all about, here's these examples of those who lived by faith. And and the author through chapter 10 has been sweeping through the Old Testament, showing us these, these examples of those who persevered with a life of faith. And he looks at Abel and then Enoch and then Noah. He looks at Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab. And then he gets to verse 32 and he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of these others. It's almost as if this is this preacher who realizes he's running out of time. He realizes his, his sermon is, is, is kind of getting a little bit long. I know you guys don't know anything about that, but it, 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 he's saying I, there's too, many, too much to say. There's too, there's too many people to, to kind of get through. It's almost as if he gets to Jericho, and then he, he talks about Rahab, and then he, he looks at his, his sundial or whatever he has, <laughs> he says, I don't, enough, I don't have enough time to look at Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, all these prophets. And so here at the end of chapter 11, he gives this, this sledgehammer style summary of his point. These are, this is the, the example of those who lived and died by faith. We've been looking at these examples of those who, who lived by faith. And in this conclusion, listen, the author is giving us this, this absolutely crucial aspect to a life of faith. So don't miss this. Um, Let me remind you, because we're going to finish chapter 11, we're going to move on. Here's what faith is. Um, The English pastor, Rico Tice, he gives this short description of faith, and I think it's really good. He says, faith is information assent, that is agreement and trust. So there are these these facts about this person, Jesus. He lived, he taught, he, he died, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. And faith is agreement with those facts. It's, it's, I believe these things about Jesus. I believe he came from heaven to earth. I believe that, that he lived a sinless life. I believe that he, he died for me, that, that, that his death was to, to pay the penalty for my sins. I believe he, he rose from the grave three days later for me to bring me through death, I believe that he ascended to the right hand of heaven to be my high priest. So there's, there's agreement with those facts. There's belief there. But there's, that's not all faith is. Faith is almost also trust, which means I, I obey it. I, I, I follow Jesus. I act upon these things. Because there's a lot of people, isn't there, that agree, say they agree with Jesus, but they don't, they don't live like it. They don't obey. That They live their own lives, and that's not Faith. Faith is agreement, it's belief, and it's trust, it's obedience. And that's what the author tells us in, in 11 verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's I believe these things about Jesus, and I'm living by them. It's as if we have, have the deeds of a house, but we don't yet uh, occupy that house. We, we possess it, but we don't live in it yet we we possess this house these these promises of God it's ours but we haven't moved in yet it's like this 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 life that we live is this journey home it's this journey to that house it's like abraham in verse 9 he's this stranger in a foreign land but but he's looking forward to the city that has foundations that, that the builder and the designer is god that's the house that, that's, that's our home that we are journeying towards in faith. But here's the problem for us and for his audience is that there's this massive danger in our faith ending when we get to the middle of verse 35. There's two lists of people the author gives here at the end, and, and the danger is my faith only lasting through the first list of people, which ends in halfway through verse 35, Tim Keller says, if your understanding of faith conceptually ends in verse 35, then in the brutalities of the world, you are doomed. If your understanding of faith conceptually ends halfway through verse 35, then in the brutalities of this world, you are doomed. Let me explain. Let's first look at the, that first list. Verses 32 to verse 35. And in this list we see some incredible things. We see the exciting victories of faith. That's this first section. The exciting victories of faith. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then he goes on to explain this group. He says in verse 33: who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, Obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. So, what characterizes this group of people is really that middle line in verse 34 when he says, They were made strong out of weakness. That their, their weakness was turned into strength. So all of these people, they really start at the margins, but through faith, they move to power. They, they move to strength. All of these people are about to be defeated. They're all completely up against it. They are uh, kind of overwhelmingly at odds, and, but they overcome in triumph. They were made strong out of weakness. Like the preacher, uh, I don't have time to look at them all, but uh, Gideon and Samson are the obvious examples on this list. Uh, Gideon in Judges sixteen fifteen says says to God, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon is the weakest. He, he's he's the, the least in his family, but he goes on to defeat the Midianites, this army of thousands, and he does so with only 300 people. 300 men. His weakness was turned into strength. And Samson had his eyes gouged out, and he was chained in bronze shackles like a dog. The the Philistines were mocking him at the end. Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And Samson prays to God, and he says, Oh, Lord, please remember me. Please strengthen me this once. O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And then he, he bows with all his strength. And he with his bare hands, he brings that temple down. His weakness was turned into strength. So you see in verse 33, it says, They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. All you see is, is, these, is, is through faith, these believers uh, not only are they doing that, are they conquering kingdoms and, and uh, um, uh, being mighty in war, putting foreign armies to flight, but you also see in this, in this uh, section that they are also receiving personal deliverance. It says they stopped the mouths of lions. That's obviously, he's talking about Daniel there. Daniel's placed in the, in the lion's den overnight. And, and the king says to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, save you. This faithfulness on, on, on display. The king's like, you are faithful to your God. May he save you. And then God does that. He sends an angel and he shuts the mouths of lions. It says they, they quench the power of fire. Who's that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Also in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Who, they were thrown into the fire, that fiery furnace, for their refusal to bow down to false gods. Nebuchadnezzar, he was so furious that he stoked the the furnace seven times as hot as normal. It was so hot that the the soldiers that threw those men in died instantly. But eventually, Nebuchadnezzar looks and he sees four men in the blaze. They're they're, they're walking around unharmed. The Lord Jesus is in their midst. and, And the text says they came out and not even their hairs were singed. The, the, their, their cloaks were unharmed they're completely delivered it's incredible praise God right back in, in chapter 11 you also see uh, we see some escape to the edge of the sword that's, that's uh, you could choose a lot of examples uh, of, of that happening in scripture Elijah Elisha, David as he faces Goliath just a shepherd boy just a nobody but he escapes the edge of, of the sword there And all of these examples, these people are in a low place, up against almost certain death and destruction, and they call upon the Lord, and he intervenes. Miraculously, things happen. They're delivered, and they're made strong out of weakness. It's incredible, isn't it? The climax of, that, of this section is in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So he's talking about Elijah and Elisha, who, who they both uh, raised two women's sons back to dead. They raised them back to life again. What a mighty and able God we serve. We love these stories, don't we? And it's probably because we love success. We love victory. It's it's what we want in life. And God still does this. He still delivers people to this day. We have people in our church who who have been sick. We pray over them and we ask God to heal and deliver. And he does. Or even this past year, we have folks who are struggling financially. Maybe your your business might not make it. We cry out to the Lord and he helps us. My... Uh, personal hero of the faith, George Mueller, uh, just a, a, an example of one who lives by faith. In his journals, he, he, he writes about completely running out of food, no, no, no food, no money for his family, and he gets on his knees and he's at, he asks God to help. He's so, he's so, he has so much faith that the Lord will take care of him. And that same day, like a, a ham turns up in the post or, or someone feels led to, to give money. We love these stories, don't we? And we should. They're good, but, but, as Keller says, if your understanding of faith conceptually ends there, halfway through verse 35, if if your understanding of faith ends with, if only you try hard enough, if only you believe hard enough, if your faith is great enough, then God will always deliver that somehow things will always work out. If that's your understanding of faith, then spiritually you are doomed. You're in real danger. And why? Well, it's, as Rico Tice says, it's because your faith is not in God. It's in your agenda for God. Your faith is not in God. It's in your agenda for God. So in real subtle ways, we can, we can begin to treat God as if, as if he's some kind of divine vending machine. If only we put in the right amount, if only we have the right amount of faith, then he will deliver you. But when calamity strikes, we can then angrily kind of cry out, God, I trusted you, and you didn't come through. But in those situations, it's not you trusting God, it's you trusting in your agenda for God. That, that is maybe the foundation of your life. I had these plans. I, I had these ideas for my life, and that is where your faith is. And so what happens is a lot of times good things can become God things. G- good things can, can become kind of ultimate things, things that are kind of non-negotiable. And if that is the case, then that is your God then that is what you worship. So we can ask God, God, where's, where's the job I wanted? Where's, where's the house that I wanted? Where's the, where's the companionship that I long for? Where's the husband? Where's, where's the wife I've, I've been asking you for? Where are the children that we wanted? And listen, none of those things are bad things. They're, they're good things. But when your heart gets kidnapped by those things and we don't get them, then often we can become angry with God. And it's because, well, we weren't really trusting in God. We were trusting in our agenda for God. One commentator on Hebrews says, The greatest challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that whether living or dying, whether comfortable or miserable, the great challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate an unshakable confidence that God himself is better than anything life can give us or that death can take away. That's the, that God is the gospel. God is the great reward. Let me say that again. The great challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate an unshakable confidence that God himself is better than anything life can give us or that death can take away from us. And here's why it's so important to understand that is because when describing this life of faith, the author doesn't stop at verse 35. He he, he doesn't stop with, and women received back their dead. Look at faith. No, he continues, and he shifts, and he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That was probably Jeremiah. That was probably that was Stephen. They were sawn in two. That was Isaiah. They, they were killed with the sword. They went about in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves on the earth. That could, be, that could describe quite a few of the prophets. That could describe John the Baptist. John the Baptist lived not a comfortable life. <laughs> He wore camel skin, he, he ate bugs, <laughs> he lived in the wilderness. Yet Jesus said, of anyone who lived, he's the greatest. No one's greater than John. So here we have the second part of the list. In the first list, we saw the exciting victories of faith. But in the second list, we see the enduring virtues of faith. Both lists, though, though vastly different are both describing those who have faith. So it, it, both of these lists, um, it's the, the verse 32, verse 33, who through faith, and that carries on through both of these lists. If you don't believe me, look at verse 39, where the author is looking back and he's recapping all of chapter 11, and he says, all of these who commended, uh, who, though commended through faith... So everyone that he's listed, I'm talking about these ones who have faith. And so that this second part, those who suffer and endure are those who have faith as well. They're all examples of believers who lived this life of faith, who endured with faith. And his point with the second list, these people in verses 35 to 38, his point is that not all men and women of faith experience miraculous deliverance. Faith in God is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. Let me say that again. Faith in God is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. We've done our best to to teach this good theology of suffering in our church over the years, and we will continue to preach this over and over again. Because what the author is telling us in this text, completely flies in the face of this heretical teaching called the prosperity theology, which, which teaches us that, that the normal Christian life shouldn't be one that experiences pain and suffering, but rather we should always prosper, especially financially and, and in our health. So the prosperity teacher would say, if only you have more faith if only you have more faith, God will deliver you. And can I just say as, as one of the shepherds of this flock that we will not tolerate this kind of theology in our church. Suffering is a normal and expected experience in our life. In fact, we have people in our church right now that are suffering deeply. Some of you are Caring for parents with horrendous diseases. Some of you, like me, will hold your father's hand as he takes his dying breath. Some of you have lost children. Some of you are struggling to conceive children. And as one of your pastors, if I ever heard someone say to one of those people, if only you had more faith, God would help you. You're going to have some strong words from our pastors. And the reason we don't teach that kind of theology or tolerate that kind of theology is because Hebrews 11 clearly teaches us that the mark of true faith is not whether we are delivered from our difficulties, but whether we are faithful in the midst of them. True faith is not whether we are delivered from our difficulties, but whether we are faithful in the midst of our difficulties. So verse 35, the author shifts from one group to the other, but both are those who lived a life of faith. Some experiencing miraculous victory through faith, Others sustained through immense suffering through faith. And um, most scholars believe that, that the others, the the second half of verse thirty-five, those who were tortured, refusing to accept release, are women. Um, so really it would it would read like this women received their dead sons back to life, other women were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Um, most scholars think that the author is referring to this story of a mother and her seven sons in the second book of Maccabees. It's, that, that book isn't in our Bibles, but it's, it's this historical account of the history of, of Israel in between the Old and New Testament. So this kind of 400-year intertestamental period. Um, this is the story of, of the famous Maccabean martyrs. And the story goes, um, Antichus Epiphanes, whom, whom Daniel predicts in Daniel, he said, you should look for, you should see this coming, and it does. Uh, the Syrian king, he comes and he conquers Israel, and he occupies it, and he was a brutal tyrant. And um, I'm going to share a brutal story, so um, if there's any children listening, you might want to divert their attention. It's a brutal story. One of the things that Antichus Epiphanes would do is he would take a prominent family from the Jews and he he would bring them to the public square and and he would call them to disobey God, um, to to eat unclean meat, to to reject God in this way, to disown the ceremonial laws of their ancestors. And, And if they didn't do it, then he would torture and kill them right there in the public square in front of everyone. And in 2 Maccabees 7, probably the most famous of the Maccabean martyrs was this woman with her seven sons, who was brought out in, into the square uh, and, and with her sons, and every one of her sons was said, what was told, that they would have to disobey God, and if they didn't disobey God, then they would have their tongues cut out, and their limbs lopped off, and they would be scalped. And then if they were still alive, they would roast them over a fire. And this will happen in front of your brothers and in front of your mother. And so they killed the first brother, and then the second, and then the third, and then they roasted the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh. And one of the brothers, as he was being tortured, and as his mother was encouraging him and calling out to, to him to be faithful. He shouted out, take my limbs, take my tongue, I'll receive them back again in the resurrection. And in the story of two Maccabees, we read that the mother was encouraging each of them, filled with the, with the spirit. She, she said to her seven boys, it is not I who gave you life and breath, It was the creator of the world who devised the origins of all things and who will, in his mercy, give life and breath back to you since now you forget yourselves for his sake. She's saying, it was not I who gave you life. It was the creator of the world. So honor him in your last moments. And so every one of her sons died bravely. It's one of the boys. Take my tongue Take my lips that I got from heaven, and I will get them back again. For God's sake, I give them up, but from Him I will get them back. And later we read with with blood gushing forth, he takes his entrails with both of his hands and he throws them forward, and with his dying breath, calls the Lord to give them back again. It's a teenage boy with his brother's limbs lopped off in front of him. How? How did he face that? How does a mother call out to her boys, hold fast? You see how in Hebrews 11:35 some women got their sons back, but here's a mother who sees her sons torture? There's no miracle. There's no intervention, no escape. But she and her sons are willing to go through with that. Why? It says, so that they might rise again to a better life. They're looking forward to a better resurrection. So do you see in verse 35, the author is speaking of, of two resurrections here. And we see that the second one is the better one. And why is it a better erection? Well, well, quite simply because the boys in the first half of verse thirty-five went on to die again. For 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 those women who, who Elijah and Elisha raised their sons to life again, for for Lazarus himself, who who Jesus raised back from the dead, these were miraculous things, incredible. But they were only resuscitations. Even though they came back to life, they were all subject again to suffering, to disease, and at that time in human history, probably a pretty uncomfortable death again. They all died again. In other words, escaping from suffering and death, it's only temporary on this side of the grave. But but this mother did not put her faith in the possibility of a resuscitation, but on the absolute certainty of a future resurrection. She didn't have some airy fairy hope in life after death. She was absolutely certain that death was going to be turned back. She knew that death was going to be defeated. So, what she was saying to her boys as they were being murdered, she was saying, Don't flinch. Don't flinch, because we're going to get those hands back. You're going to get those tongues back. We're going to get our love back and our family back. We're going to get the world back, and it's going to be far, far better, because we look forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. C.S. Lewis wrote, there are far, far better things that lie ahead than any we leave behind. And we as Christians have to preach that to ourselves every day. Verse 35, we're going to gain a better resurrection. We will rise again to a better life. And that, brothers and sisters, that, that faith in a future resurrection is what you need to face absolutely anything. I don't know what you're all facing. I know a little bit of what some of you are facing, and I know it's incredibly hard. But you have to believe me when, in 10,000 years from now, when we are standing in the new creation, when we are face to face with Jesus, surrounded by the, the wonder of this universe, but without the pain and suffering, you will be smiling. You will be singing forever. You will be rejoicing for all eternity. And if your, your faith is in Jesus Christ, that is your future. Paul says in Romans 8, For I consider that the, the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. He says it another way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He's talking about faith there. It's like we have faith in the things that are unseen, the things in this world, the things in your life, transient. We look forward to something that is eternal. This eternal weight that is beyond all comparison. I confess that I thought before that that verse can seem a little bit insensitive to someone who's going through hell on earth. How can you say that to someone who has lost a loved one to a, de- to a terrible disease? But don't hear what Paul isn't saying here. He isn't saying, hey, your present sufferings don't matter. Get over it already. It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that no matter how awful your current situation is, no matter how painful it is, the glory that lies ahead of you for those who have faith in God is infinitely weightier. As we draw to a close, I don't need to go away thinking that somehow the people in the second part of that section have more faith than the people in the first half. And that's not true and I'll show you why as we end here. I want to end by looking again at Daniel chapter 3 back with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who, as we said, they were miraculously saved from that fiery furnace. But in Daniel three sixteen, we see that They're about to be thrown into the fire. And this is what they say as they refuse to bow down to that golden idol. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered uh, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, they're talking about being thrown into the fire. If we are thrown into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But in verse 18, they say, But if not, even if he does not deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your, your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you see that faith? They, they believe that God can save them. They believe that God will save them. But they say, even if he doesn't, it's Okay. It doesn't matter, and the reason they're able to say that is because their faith is in God, not in their agenda for God. Listen, we don't know what lies ahead of us, church. You might be wondering, which list am I going to end up on? Please, the victorious one. (laughs) We don't know what's ahead of us. Certainly some victories, certainly some sufferings. Only God knows exactly what's in our future. And I also can't tell you why some experience miraculous victory and some do not. Again, only God knows and decides those things. That's not up to us. You see both in Scripture. Look at James and Peter. James was was put in prison and the disciples prayed and the Lord sent an angel to deliver him. He escaped the edge of the sword. But James, in contrast, was put to death by the sword. Now, later, Peter would die crucified upside down. But at that point, James was among the the second group. Look at David and Jonathan. David was a shepherd boy, a nobody. Yet he triumphed. He moved from weakness to strength. He became the greatest king in Israel's history Jonathan, on the other hand, was a king's son. He had nobility. He was faithful to God, yet he died in a battle far, far away from home. One escaped the edge of the sword and triumphed. The other trusted God, but there was no intervention, no escape, no miracle. But the common feature of the faith that both escapes suffering and the faith that endures suffering is they both Involve firmly believing that God Himself is better than anything death can take from you or anything that life can give you. Do you believe that, church? That God is better than anything this life can give you and anything that death can take away. So, what is faith in the moment of torture? That if God really loves me, He'll get me out of this? No. Faith believes that there's a kind of resurrection for the believer that is better than the miracle of escape. And that's what we look forward to. And that faith is the kind of faith that causes us to finish the Christian life and banishes the risk of falling away. Let's stand and pray. So Lord, we pray again, help us. We need your help. We need you. Um, we need you to increase our faith. We pray that that, that that ancient prayer, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Thank you, Jesus, that you who start a good work in us are faithful to complete it that those who you call, you bring all the way through to glorification. Thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. So we need you. We need you to to increase our faith. We need, Lord, to, to fix our eyes on you, King Jesus, so you will bring us through. We pray for those who are suffering right now. We pray for those who are hurting. Sustain them, Lord. Give them strength to believe, to look forward to a city that has foundations, to a better resurrection, to a better life, one that will never end. We pray for deliverance. We pray for, your, for healing. We are confident that you do that. <laughs> But through it all, Lord, help us to be a people who wants you above anything. Jesus, you are better. You are better than anything this life can offer and certainly anything the death can take away from us. Give us that 10,000-year-from-now perspective on our lives, Lord. pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.